This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. It is totally cliche to say that life is funny, but it is kind of fun to sit back and look at just how funny life actually is. The choices that we make and the moments we get ourselves into, regardless of our titles, roles, or aptitude, can be pretty hilarious. Cognitively, yeah, I do consider myself to be a fairly high-functioning individual. However, speaking from personal life experience, I've also learned that over the years, thinking I can do something and playing it out in my mind is a completely different thing than actually physically executing it. I am not going to start listing off a whole bunch of things that I think that I can't do. I'm just not that type of person. Historically, though, being told that I can't or that I shouldn't do something has usually resulted in that being my tipping point and ultimately ends up translating into me trying to figure out some random way that I can prove that person or situation wrong by figuring out a way that I can simply overcome that particular challenge. Now, when I say this, I am most definitely not displaying myself as any type of superhero by any stretch, but rather I am just simply highlighting the part of my brain that says, why not? Typically, I am not one to shy away from a challenge. I am not saying, however, that this has always been a good idea. Sometimes when my brain is saying, why not? Perhaps I should allow my mind to just linger a little bit longer on the word why before I decide that I need to solidify my decision and move forward. I most definitely know if I would have allowed my mind to linger just a wee bit longer on a few occasions, I probably wouldn't have got myself into such predicaments. I'm Becky Zarr, and this is The Blind Reality. One prime example actually happened not too long ago. My husband Brad and I had bought tickets to a fundraising gala. Initially, this really wasn't that big of a deal. That was right up until the moment that I started to overanalyze things. Just a bit. If I'm being honest, I'm not really a gala kind of girl. But don't get me wrong, I do love getting dressed up, I love getting my hair done, and doing all the glam, floofy, girly type of things. So I thought I'd get on board this time. I got the designer dress, I did the alterations, I booked my hair appointment, and I totally scammed Brad into painting my nails. All the typical things. Then my mind started getting a little bit creative, and I thought, hmm... I bet I'd look even better in this dress if I had a nice golden glistening tan. I probably should mention at this point that this gala was taking place in January and I live in Saskatchewan, which essentially means that at that point in time, my skin possesses the polar opposite hue of a golden glistening tan. In January, I'm completely pasty white. There are really no other words to describe it than pasty white. I know it's really important for all of us that we love ourselves as we are, and I am a strong proponent of this on a typical day. But I was getting ready to go to a fancy gala, and I did not want to look like the blind girl. I just wanted to look like everybody else. I know some of you right now are completely gasping, because that sounds fairly inappropriate for me to say, right? But this is my podcast and my total honest truth. Anyway, 
I decided to do what any reasonable person would, and I started to Google spray tan salons that were located close to my house. I was totally delighted when I came up with this idea. I kind of thought it was a bit of a genius move, to be honest. I'd had a spray tan a couple of times in the past, and personally, I'd never had a negative experience. Luck had it that a spray tan salon was located and up and running only a few blocks from my house. Who knew? I quickly called and booked my appointment. I got in my boots, I grabbed my stick, and I started trudging through the cold winter snow, all with a smile on my face, simply because I knew that I was only a few moments away from my new tropical tan. Upon arrival at the salon, I was met by the same perky 20-something-year-old girl that I had spoken with on the phone. I gave her a heads up when we were chatting on the phone that I was going to come and I was visually impaired, to which she seemed absolutely unfazed. She was very delightful to chat to, but honestly, to this day, I'm not entirely sure if she understood that visually impaired meant heads up, I can't exactly see. Anyway, she did help me complete the questionnaire and she was telling up my bill. She then decided to tell me about their promotion. Buy two spray tans and get one free. She continued to tell me that this was a very good deal and it was absolutely her recommendation that I take advantage of this amazing sale. I remember thinking, oh, I really do like a good sale. So I stood there quietly trying to tally up in my mind different occasions where I could perhaps benefit from or utilize a glistening glowing tan. Thank goodness, despite great efforts, my mind had gone blank and I ended up turning down her amazing promotion. However, then she decided to talk to me about what she referred to as as add-ons. I don't exactly remember all of the details or precisely what the name of the product was, but for a simple extra $10, she explained that she could add a solution to the spray tan that will prevent me from turning orange. I remember standing there completely stunned. I remember thinking, I know I'm not a trendsetter by any means, but as far as I'm aware, nobody seeks out the orange skin keratin look, do they? My nerves began to rise and it was at that point I likely should have considered this as a big sign and headed back into the cool winter streets. But for some reason, my feet remained firmly planted where they were. I paid the extra $10 to not turn orange and then I followed the perky lady into a small room that housed the spray tanning booth. As soon as I saw the booth, it hit me. I was getting flashbacks. Loud sirens were going off in my mind. Abort, 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 my mind was yelling at me. Leave now. Yet, I stood there. On the exterior, I wasn't wavering at all. There was no problem. I nodded my head and politely listened to all of her instructions, knowing very well that my percentage of accurately completing each one of these steps successfully was extremely low. She had left the room, I locked the door, and I began to follow all of her instructions. And moments later, I was standing in a small booth, similar to the size of a telephone booth, I would say. She had said that the booth would walk me through all of the steps and that there was no need to stress. Her perky voice said that it was completely foolproof. 
Hmm, foolproof really wouldn't be the term that I would use to describe it today. I remember standing there thinking to myself, holy crap, how do you keep getting yourself into these situations? I was laughing so hard, but trying not to be heard. I recalled her airy light voice saying, when you're ready, wave your hand in front of the green light and the booth will activate. I remember looking around thinking, uh, for real? There's a green light in here? Uh-oh. I can't see a green light. I don't see a green light anywhere. Where is this stupid green light? For those of you who watch the TV show Friends and have ever seen the episode where Ross decides to get a spray tan and he blunders a couple of steps while in the booth and he ends up looking absolutely ridiculous? While being a dedicated Friends fan myself, I've seen this episode several times. And no way was I sticking my face close to the wall of this spray booth in attempts of locating this missing green light. I knew that it would potentially result in me getting a fast, quick blast of mystic spray to the face. Instead, I started to wave my hands practically back and forth in front of me, where I believed the green light probably should be located. There I was, standing in this spray booth, waving my arms around, flapping them like an injured bird, when suddenly, to my surprise, the booth turned on and the real fun began. Initially, I was totally relieved. Phew, the hard part is over, I thought to myself. It's going to be all good from here on out. I was able to relax for about a split second, right up until the commanding voice that came from the booth told me to position my left foot in position one and my right foot in position three. Oh, I had completely forgotten about the number pattern that was laid out on the floor that I was supposed to follow. I glanced down towards the dark, damp floor only to see nothing. There was no pause button or any way of delaying or predicting when a blast of mystic spray was going to be released in my direction. My mind quickly hurled a few options towards me. None of them guaranteed me success and most of them were going to result in me walking out of there looking like an ill-painted striped animal. So, I did the best thing I possibly could do. I channeled my inner Madonna and I struck a pose. Within moments, the tiny machine had rotated me 360 degrees and I had struck various random poses in hopes of receiving an even shellacking. I exited the booth, thanked the 20-something-year-old lady for her help, and made a mental note to never return again. As people, we make all sorts of choices. The choice to never return to a spray tan booth, well, that's a fairly obvious and easy one. Each day, we choose to get up and start our routines, or perhaps create a new one. I believe that we choose how we look at the world and how we perceive our individual life circumstances. I recognize that some choices are more difficult and call for more consideration and reflection than others. Even in the really hard times when we feel like we've lost complete control, I feel that even the small choices that you're making at those times can help calm the waves. For years, I chose to sit quiet and idle, coming up with a multitude of excuses and being upset and pissed off that somebody else didn't just come in and fix everything for me, for not creating that desired rewind button. 
but a piece of the puzzle that I was missing was the impact that my choices were having on my life, good or bad. I just wasn't in the position to have these insights at that time, and it was just easier for me to point and blame rather than to consider my own actions. Sure, I didn't cause or ask for my vision problems, and medically, yeah, I was doing everything I possibly could, but for years I chose to deprive many other parts of myself. The humiliation that I felt that others had towards me was actually a projection of my own feelings that I had towards myself. With a lot of reflection, I began to realize that I've made a lot of choices over the past almost eight years. All of them have been very different, yet they're all really linked to the same root issue. Initially, I chose to ignore. I chose to ignore the facts and I chose to pretend. I chose to also believe false words, like really genuinely believe them. I was really trying to reflect something from my inside that just wasn't there. I was trying to betray that everything in my life was good, it was normal, it was easy, and I was all right. And I thought if I could just convince the world of these truths, then perhaps I could even convince myself. My truth was covered in denial and my puppeteer was fear. One choice that I decided to make was initially rooted in blame. Blaming those who have gone before me for not sharing and fixing things. I remember thinking, well, surely I'm not the first person who's ever lost their sight. Why haven't these people created a manual, a how-to sort of, on how to pull off everything in life? I remember thinking, shame on them. Without proper understanding, I would think, if it was me, I would have figured this out a long time ago, and I would have shared it. So not everybody is just wandering around on their own lonely path. Another choice that I was spontaneously able to make after many years of being silent was to finally do something. After searching and searching for answers and this miracle person to come and show me the way, I finally realized that I've known this person for years. It was me. I finally feel like I have knowledge and insights that I'm able to share that can help bring color and spirit back into the world. A contact that I had met in the blind community had become friends with me on social media. I came across one of her posts and it really allowed me to finally have the confidence that I needed to step forward and allowed myself to be vulnerable in hopes of making a change. Her words in the post were simple. It stated, I feel beautiful today. Along with her words was a picture of her wearing a beautiful dress and her hair and makeup done simply. I couldn't help but feel sadness and shock when I was reading her happy post. I was initially really confused. Why was I feeling all of these opposite emotions compared to what she was describing how she felt at that current moment? After sitting there, I read her message over and over again. It was the word today that really stuck out to me. She was beautiful. Why couldn't she just see this for herself? Why couldn't she see this characteristic in herself every day? I remember having conversations over the years with these girls, with the challenges that they have had about learning the world of beauty and aesthetics without the use of their sight. Sometimes it was a concept for me that was really difficult to grasp. 
and the value that our society places on a person's visual appearance often overrides what comes out of their mouths. The knowledge that they have, their positivity, their gestures of kindness, efforts and resilience, at times, it's sadly often overshadowed by their physical vanity. After reading her post, I thought somebody should help her so she's able to feel beautiful every day. And if a little bit of makeup and hair products is what allows her to feel beautiful, then why has somebody not just stepped up and helped? I started to think, who did I know that I could put this off on? I could tell them all about the scenario and they could just swoop in and fix it. My list after several hours, however, remained empty. I didn't have anybody that I could just call up and they could simply just take care of this. Frustrated and tired of waiting, my direction became very clear. I could do it. I said it over again in my head a few times. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can still hear the hesitancy and the lack of confidence ringing through my head, but for some reason, this time, I chose to ignore it. This time, I chose to take a step forward and try to make a difference. Without even knowing it, it became the very first day in a long time that I gave myself a hug. I had planned quite a few events at work before, but nothing ever like this. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, okay, what would Becky do? What steps would I had taken before to make this day fantastic? Slowly, I came up with a general plan of hosting a small get-together with some basic hair and makeup tutorials put on by some professionals. Sounds totally simple, right? I started making some random phone calls and explaining my vision. I was totally amazed and astonished by the overwhelming positive support and feedback that I was receiving simply by having a conversation. Every single person that I had called said yes. I couldn't help but think, holy, this is actually pretty easy. Within a couple of days, I had nailed down a free boardroom and some amazing hair and makeup artists to donate their time. I wouldn't describe myself as a naturally creative individual. So I enlisted my mom, my mother-in-law, my two amazing aunts, and my cousin. Together with them and a little persistence, determination, and curiosity, I learned that some really good things can happen. My event went from being held in a free boardroom to be hosted in an elegant hotel ballroom. The women who attended were blind or partially sighted and were finally able to learn the skills that they had been craving, but silently not acknowledging. When the doors finally opened to the event and the ladies entered the room, the room was filled with hesitancy, nerves, and tension. At this point, I myself was a total shaking mess. I couldn't help but think as I was approaching the podium at the front of the room, what am I doing? Oh my goodness, I have no idea of where this podium even is. Thankfully, unbeknownst to me at the very last minute, my amazing auntie decided to remove the podium. Thanks auntie for your amazing insight and likely anticipation of me completely plowing into the podium and at the very least, shaking my confidence just a bit at the very start. It was totally funny though, because I remember thinking several times during my planning process, what would Becky do? 
Whenever I said this, I meant what would the professional Becky do? If I was at work planning a major event for our nurses, what would I do to make this the best possible event for these people? The really interesting thing is that Becky would have absolutely no clue what to do in this scenario. As much as I thought that I needed to rely on her, it was the new Becky that was getting me through this. How was that for insight? While I was at the front of the room doing my opening remarks, I remember making a couple of statements. One of them was something like, I am totally nervous and I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing here, but I have my papers here in my hand and somehow they're making me feel just a little bit better. I explained to the ladies that it was my natural reaction to grab my notes and papers and proceed to the front of the room. I remember glancing down at the papers in my hand and seeing nothing. I suddenly couldn't catch my breath and my stomach did a little flip, but I remember saying to the ladies that everything today is going to go fantastic and I'm totally confident based on the fact that I have my notes in my hand should I need them. Then I followed that statement with, but I can't actually read them because I can't see them. There was a moment of silence followed by a burst of laughter. That laughter came from me at first and then it came from the ladies that filled the room. That simple display of vulnerability removed the labels of them and me and in turn turned it into a partnership and a label of us. As I sit here exploring my thoughts, sharing my experiences and choosing to finally speak my truth, I can't help but feel a little glimmer of fear though, racing through my brain and pulsating through my body. I absolutely do not know everything and I don't have all of the answers. I have actually no idea how life is going to play out or what's even going to take place in the next hour. I don't want to be seen or thought of as the one who knows. That's way too much pressure. But what I will do and what I can offer is to step forward as a person who understands. Without hesitation, I will choose to extend my arm and offer my hand with warmth, honesty and trust as a simple reminder that life's journey is way better when traveled together. Today, I've decided to invite my dad, Cal, to come and share some of his thoughts and experiences. My humor and outgoing personality come from my mom. My need for quiet reflection, as well as my, at times, strong opinion traits come from my dad. Together, my parents have helped make me into the person that I am today, and for the most part, I think I turned out fairly decent. I mean, it's pretty obvious I'm the favorite child. So, welcome to the show, Dad. Thanks, Becky. So, my first question is, what advice would you give to another family who's just starting off with a family member with vision loss? Well, I would just say that uh, you've got to assess the whole situation. You take and sit back and look at all the things, the issues that we know we've got at hand and that need to be corrected. And we've got to get a handle on to make things better for you. But 90% of that, actually, we have no control over. So uh, you've got to get a group of friends rounded up with some um, positive attitudes and that have the ambition and the will to help a person out when you're down and uh, 
in a bind. It's not an easy task. It's uh, puts you know long hours, and eventually, in the end, uh, with the doctor's help and whatever uh, family members and everybody and the friends that would pull together, eventually it will start to turn around slowly. But it takes a long time. The first few months was not much fun, and uh, for you or us, and you know, it just didn't seem like it would ever quit. But eventually. We got a little window there, and things started to slowly turn around. And got a little bit of improvement here, and you got a good report from the doctor once in a while, and things started to look up. And then, you know, eventually just progressed back to where you were able to get in and out by yourself. And uh, eventually, the dog was offered to you, and I thought you should take the dog right away because it's better than the stick. But uh, Lulu turned out great, and I think it's the best thing that's happened to you in a long time. So. You were somebody who really encouraged me early on to use my white cane. I'm just curious, how frustrating was it for you that I simply refused to do it? Very much so, Becky, because I just felt, and I think your mother agreed with me, that uh, without your white cane in hand, that you looked just like any other young person coming down the street. And in the store aisles, it was really scary. People were darting every which way, and there was times that we thought you'd be knocked over, and pushed into the produce bin there or whatever. So, and over the years in general, we've seen a lot of ignorant people out in the public that just have no respect with people, even with a cane. So without the cane, you're just a moving target. Okay, so since my vision loss, has there been something that I've done where as a parent you've thought, mm, that's probably not the best idea? And if so, what was that? Ben and I are out riding our bikes, and he came out of the house and said to us, uh, would you like to go for a bike ride? So we said, well, maybe that's a feasible thing to do. So we got your mother's bike down and brought it outside and got you seated on it. Gave you a little practice out in front of the house there. There was no problems with you balancing steering the bike. So we said that Ben would ride along beside you on the left-hand side. We thought that would be a good deal so we could steer you off into the ditch if any cars came along and got into a bind. So he rode around the loop with you, and I went and cut back and met you at the corner. And here I could see you coming there. You're riding along just like you did in the olden days. There was no problem at all. Pigtails flying in the air, the breeze. And, and afterwards, we thought you probably shouldn't have done that without the proper PPE on. I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. But can you share a funny moment that took place that you just couldn't help but laugh? Well, I guess that one would be that we used to come and pick you up in your driveway, and usually, uh, normally, I'd just drive the van straight in and park it. So this one day, I guess it snowed or whatever, so I thought, well, say Becky trudging through the snow, then we'll just back up to the corner of the house there, and she can come out and just jump in the van. So that's what I did. I parked it there, and along, or lo and behold, a couple minutes, out she came, and I had the door open, so I took for granted. You just open there the door and sit down in there, and wouldn't be a problem, but all of a sudden they're just thumping and banging, and then all of a sudden I said, well, I turn around and look and see what's going on, and here you are sitting on the floor looking up, looking up at me, laughing, and I says, what's going on here? She says, well, I guess I missed the seat. I says, you know, you missed the seat, but the van is backed in the driveway backwards, and then you're trying to sit in the seat the wrong direction, so I guess that's when somebody has a visually impairment to... Uh, that you got to make them aware of any change you do when you change the van direction. It makes a big difference to them. And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank my dad for coming in and chatting with me today. And as always, I'd like to thank my family for their continued love and support. 
This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Zarr. Technical production was provided by AMI-audio's Paula Dineen, and the manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Remember, until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.